Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. A listener production. Hey, I'm Pro Surfer and mental health advocate Cooper Chapman, and this is Good Humans. A lot of us, when we finish high school, have the vision that we want to change the world, but not many of us do anything about it. But not Sam Freaker. Sam's one of Australia's best divers, hopeful for the 2021 Olympics. He's also a huge star on TikTok, but the thing that's most admirable for me is his vision to change the world with single use plastic straws. He's going to tell you all about his journey. And his mindset is something that you'll be completely inspired by. I can almost guarantee it. Welcome to the podcast, Sam Freaker. Thanks, Cooper. Now, yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. And I'm super excited to get into these summer things. I think we share such similar views and values. So pumped to be here. Yeah. So speaking of values, I don't know your story super well. So yeah. let's go right to the beginning. Where'd you grow up and what sort of values did your parents instill in you from a young age? So I grew up in Newcastle and my parents were always really supportive of anything I wanted to do. And as a kid, I got in a lot of trouble in in primary school and growing up just in school. But my parents always pushed me to go towards doing doing the right thing and following my passion. And they always kind of nurtured that. And I think I ran from that a little bit as a kid. But as I got older and started to find my passions, what they kind of tried to push into me as a kid – uh, really came back to help me out. So diving, yeah. In the Australian diving team, it's something that most people are absolutely scared the hell out of. <laughs> we actually went and did some cliff jumping a couple months back. And that was good fun. You're a freak, mate. So, how does a young male get into diving in Australia? Well, there's many ways to go about it, but for me, I actually started because a girl I liked was doing it, and it was like really cold. It was in Newey. Uh, I didn't really want to go because it was cold, but she was there. So I just, I just went and um, I wasn't very good, but eventually I started to get a little bit better and then I started to love it. So how old were you when that, that moment sort of happened? I was like 12, probably 11, 12 then. Okay. Yeah. So Before high school. Yeah. So diving, what's sort of the transition? So you just yeah. start jumping off diving boards <sighs> and then how do you transition into it being an actual sport to compete in yeah so it's when you see the final product you can may look at it and be like oh like how do you get there but like anything you start with the basics you do a jump then you do a forward dive a front summing a front one and a half two and a half all the way up to what i do now is like a front four and a half so it's so slowly every step of the way uh you might add half a flip or half a twist and you just keep it to your own abilities until you can do the big stuff yeah, I mean, I've watched some of your clips, <laughs> especially on TikTok and Instagram, which we will get to a little bit later because you're an absolute star on there. <laughs> but yeah, talk me through your process when it comes to fear with diving because mm. that's something that I don't even know if I jump off the 10-meter board. And like you said, you're doing four and a half spins now off the board. What stage does fear creep in or is it a pretty gradual thing when you're building up skills? 
So the fear is always kind of relative to what you're doing. So when I first learned a front two and a half, I found that quite scary. Uh, and that probably just as scary as I find maybe a front four and a half today. So it's, it's all kind of relative to what you're doing, but the fear is always, it's always present and it's about how you deal with it. Okay. And, and if and, any and diver how- tells you they're not scared, they're lying. <laughs> ah, interesting. So how, how do you deal with it? What's your process? Yeah. You're walking up the, give me that, that mindset. So you're walking up the stairs to the 10 meter board. What goes through your head before going up for even a practice dive? So when, when I'm walking up, I'm really focusing on what dive I'm doing and I have keywords, key points for each dive that I need to think about uh, just to make sure I can, I can hit it and keep it simple. Now, you want to keep things super simple. So for me, it's just keeping my keywords nice and clear and visualization. If I can feel the dive before I go, I'm set. Yeah, it's such an interesting thing. And I've spoken recent, previously in this podcast to people about visualization. Yeah. Wade Carmichael comes to mind. Yeah. He's a guy that you wouldn't expect to think about visualization, but I think it's something that comes across on a lot of sports and a lot of different successful people is visualization. When did you first become aware of visualization and what sort of effects and how important is it to you when it comes to diving? Oh, I reckon visualization would be in, the, in like the top three, like most important things for diving, but even for life in everything you do, if you, don't, if you can't see where you want to go, how are you going to get there? Yeah, I like that. A lot of wisdom from that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. just sitting there drinking me coffee. Uh, <laughs> loving that. Uh, no, it's visualization is super important. So whether it's my dive that I need to visualize how it's going to feel when I go through the water and get it right uh, or how I'm going to feel when I win, like those visualizations are, are so essential, so essential. Yeah, and I, I love the way you can see how passionate you are speaking about it, and you so <laughs> speak so well. And it's for such a young age, it's it's really impressive. But with diving, you've just come from training this morning. It's yeah. nine o'clock in the morning here, and you were telling me that you've got to go back after this and train yeah. again. So a lot of dedication goes into the sport. Talk me through an average day of training, and then a whole week of training. What it looks like for an eighteen-year-old Olympic diver who's just finished school. Yeah, well, it's it's pretty hectic now. A lot of people think now I'm done school. I'm kind of sitting at home, <laughs> but things things are more intense than ever. So I get up in the morning, five a.m. Drive to train. Now I live an hour away from the pool, so I train from six to eight. After training, I go straight to business meetings and business stuff I need to do. So at the moment, I've been going to Mossman a lot for a lot of meetings and stuff like that to progress with the straws. And then after that, I do that nearly all day business stuff, head back over to the pool, have my second session. And then after training, I either try and film some social media stuff for that side or I have work. So I, I'll usually train from three till six and then I normally coach from six to eight as well for a bit of money. Wow. <laughs> and I love it. And then I drive home, sleep, and then it's most repeat for those days or all the weekdays. Not your, not your typical 18-year-old, I can tell <laughs> you that much. And I'm, I can't wait after this chat. I'm so inspired to actually pick up my game with <laughs> my business <laughs> stuff because that's your week sounds a lot busier than my week. I'm just kind of surfing. and I mean, I definitely put in a lot of time as well, but yeah, well, it's really inspiring hearing someone of your age being so switched on and so dedicated to not only your sport, but mm-hmm. your business, which we will talk about a little bit later because that's something I'm so excited to talk to you about because it's really impressive what you're doing with the straw business. Oh, thank you. But let's talk about a competition. So yeah. I don't know that much about diving and I'm sure a lot of our listeners probably won't. So rocking up to a competition, yeah. what does it look like? How many competitors are you going up against and what sort of mindset is needed to take out a competition in a diving event. Okay, so going to a big international competition, we have between like 40, 50 competitors, sometimes 60. Uh, and the biggest thing with that is you go weight. 
sometimes 50 minutes in between dives. So when you're going there, you've got to really be, for me, everyone's different. But for me personally, I need to be in the mindset of I need to feel good about myself and my diving for me to compete well. Uh, I need to get enough sleep and I need to be trained consistently. And if I can have all those three things, I'll feel great going into a competition. And then going to the comp, I just need to keep my keywords clear, keep everything super simple and just kind of rely on my training, but also keep up my visualization. I, I heighten my visualization around competition and my mental kind of training. Yeah. So let's talk me through one of those dives. I want to like get step by okay, step. Okay. You're walking out of the room. You wipe All yourself right. down with the towel. All right. Got the sluggos on. <laughs> Rocking those speedos. Rocking those speedos. But yeah, so all the training's done yeah. on competition day. How do you settle the nerves? How do you get yourself in that prime prime mindset to compete? Ooh, after, after warm-up, I like to have a laugh with my coach. Just joke around, a bit of banter, uh, take the piss a bit. <laughs> just because when I laugh, that's when I'm happy, I do my best. So I try to take my, like, you're not going to forget you're in a competition. So when I'm sitting there competing, I know, like, what I got to do. So when I'm just bantering with my coach, that kind of puts me in a position where it takes away, like, the total stress. And it puts me in a position where I feel like I can compete happy and do my best. So kind of just have a laugh. Yeah, I like that. Just taking the pressure off by just not taking things too seriously. Yeah, it's yeah. such an important thing in life, just realizing that it's not the be all and end all. Competitions are so important. But one competition that is probably the most important on the calendar is the Olympics. Nobody yeah. can overlook the Olympics. And you're looking like potentially in the team for the Olympics in Tokyo 2021. What what goes through your head? Is there different preparation? Are you nervous for that? Are you more prepared? Are you less prepared? Or is it just same going over the repetitive mindset before the biggest event probably of your life? Now, of course, like ever since I was a kid, all I wanted to do was go to the Olympics. And although I didn't know uh, I was going to be a diver as a kid, like I wanted to go to the Olympics for something. And when, yeah, of course, diving is what we're aiming for now. Um, but you can't you take every competition kind of, kind of the same. Like you're always trying to do your best. So I'm going to go in with the same mental kind of strategies and training that I've done before. The only difference is the training is going to be more tapered towards this event. And I'm just going to make sure I do everything, use every tool in my toolbox to put best, the best fight I can to be on that team. Yeah, it's just about always about controlling the controllables. It's something yeah, that comes across things, all sports. And for me in surfing, it's really important to yeah control the controllables with such Especially a- Especially with the uncontrollable waves. Like you're in such an uncontrolled- Well, for me, where diving is just like fixed 10 meter, like you're in an uncontrolled environment. Yeah, like, it's a bit different for me, but I'm not talking about me today. I'm talking about you. Oh. And it's, <laughs> it's so cool to see you getting involved in that. What are the other competitors like? Is there- a lot of rivalry or is it pretty much all right all you can do is go out there and do your best and is there like hoping that people stuff up yeah look it's, people are but if you're worried about someone else stuffing up you're not thinking about yourself which means you might be trying to think about someone else stuffing up but you may not uh, be focusing on yourself so then you can't do your best and win so for me and we've all fallen, fallen down the path of like oh if he does this and i can do that and we've all been there but for me and it's, it's, it's not easy, but you've got to try and focus on yourself and what you can do. Because at the end of the day, if you put down, well, for me, if I put down my best dives, I know like I can come out on top and it's about me putting down my best dives, not worrying about what Jacko is doing. Yeah, I like that. It's a really mature approach. And it's I think- hard though. Like it's, it's, and sometimes I struggle with that, but like that's the goal. 
Yeah. So tell me when you do struggle with that, what, how do you overcome that? Because being so young, yeah. 18 years old, it is a real maturity thing. I felt like when I was competing, I almost, unfortunately, when I was probably your age and I was traveling the world, I probably had a bit more ego than I would have liked to. And I wasn't as humble as say I am now, but I used to, when I'd travel around the world, kids would, or like my mates would, yeah. I would lose in an event and then I'd be like, oh, I'd almost want my mates to lose because I didn't want them to do way better than me. Whereas now I'm kind of like, screw that. Like it's the best thing ever watching your mates do really good. So what's your process to try and for one, focus on your own game, but for two, yeah, just be excited to watch other people do their best because it means you're going to have to do better, which is in the long run better for you anyway. That's so raw what you're saying there. It's, It's every athlete's experienced that. Because when it, when you're not doing your best, it's it's hard because when you're feeling good, you're like, oh yeah, I want everyone to do well as well. But yeah, when you're not doing your best, it's it's challenging. And I think yeah, every athlete has experienced that to some extent. Yeah, well, mature approach. I'm rooting for the Olympics, but man, <laughs> it's been a wild year. 2020, unbelievable stuff going on. You were doing your HSC, and man. Tell me about the HSC. What sort of what was your experience like studying for the HSC, going through the trials and going through the exams? So I do for me, I do a lot of driving. So for studying for the HSC, I listened to a lot of podcasts on the topics and subjects I was doing. And that was kind of my way of studying, listening um, to lectures and podcasts and everything about my subjects because I could drive and listen because I'm so time poor. Um, and I found that super effective because then when I went to sit the exams, I felt more comfortable knowing that I'd done everything I could. And I feel like I put my absolute best foot forward. It was hard with training, diving, the business and trying to do my social stuff as well. Um, but I, I think I got through it well and every, using my support network is super important because when like it was a stressful time um, and it's really important to have those guys there, it was really important for me so I could chat to people about it. Yeah, so let's dig into that a little bit more. So having that support network so important when it yeah, comes to studying, 100%. but when it comes to any part of your life, having people to lean on when you need help and not having guilt asking for help. Mm-hmm. What's your process when obviously you're so time poor and you've got so many things on your plate and the HSC is obviously probably one of the most important things we do in our young life. Mm-hmm. What sort of support network did you have around you and what sort of questions were you asking them and support were you asking from them? Yeah, so... Number one, I got my friends uh, and they're people, I keep my friend group pretty tight uh, because you, friendship is is really like give and take. You look out for your friends and, and they look after you too. And I always lean on those guys and I always help them out as well whenever we can. Um, and then we're always there for each other. So I always feel comfortable talking to them about anything I'm struggling with and then getting through it together. You then also got your family and I got like some mentors, some older people I talked to that helped me out as well. You know, a bit of perspective, a bit more life experience to really bring things back to, you know, perspective of this isn't the end of the world if this is the if this doesn't go the plan. The two things that I'm really excited to talk to you about, social media. You're yeah. an absolute whiz on <laughs> TikTok. The kid who <laughs> does backflips everywhere he goes. <laughs> Tell me about your rise on TikTok and what that platform's done for your life but done for just like your happiness and it just seems like you're always having a good time on there yeah well i'm i'm a happy guy like so i just spread my my positivity and the fun i'm having with my friends and that like i go out and i just 
like I hang with good people like yourself and like we're just vibing and then we make some content and I think people love it because, you know, they just want to have good vibes as well. So I started TikTok originally. My sister showed me how to make some videos and like I saw the ads. Like we all had a bit of skepticism about it at the start. It was like, oh, TikTok. But then, you know, once you get on it, it's like, all right, it's number one, it's super addictive. And my sister helped me make a video. I made them with her. Uh, my initial videos all with her because I didn't know what I was doing. And I got like 10 views and then like 100 and 500. I got 500 views. I was like, oh, that's sick. Like that's 500 views I never would have gotten anywhere else. And then I just kept posting. And then I eventually had a diving video that took off. It's like 100K. Um, and I was like, oh, people actually want to see diving on here. So then I just kept. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Posting diving, and then I expanded to flips. You know things about diving. I put in my straws, and now I just post everything I do, and um, I just put it out there because I, I use the analogy of throwing the fishing rod. If you got nothing in the water, you can't you can't get anything. So you, I just keep throwing the fishing rod. You know, set the crab chats put the net in the water, just post it all. Like, what do you got to lose? Mate, I love that. <laughs> but some people don't have that mindset. When you say, what do you got to lose? It's a really big problem today in society with young people being really scared to post stuff mm. because of criticism. What's it been like for you with online bullying and criticism? Yeah. Because like you said, you're, throw, <laughs> you're throwing a lot of crab yeah. traps out there yeah. and you're going to be catching some of the wrong people. So yeah. what's, give me some stories. I'm sure you've got some stories of some bad online oh, bullying. I feel like I've copped most of it, you know. Um, but I don't really care because the way I see it is I keep my friends close. They're the people that know me. I value what they say. You know, if Cooper comes up to me, he's like, you know, Sam, what you did there probably wasn't above board. You should probably think about that. Maybe change your approach. I'd be like, okay, you know, I, I should probably do that. And I'm going to take it seriously. But if Jacko with two followers, you know, who's here? I don't care. He doesn't even know me. It's, it's really important the people you have around you. That's what matters. Yeah, and it's such a mature way to look at it. And I love that, but... Some people really struggle with that. And I, I've got times and I'm sure there's been times where it's hard to get somebody death threats or one yeah. thing, but even people just ridiculing what you're doing and something that you probably believe in so much. Uh, oh yeah. Like they take the piss out of diving, the way I talk, the way I look, anything, but it's, you know, like it's just, it's, and it, you know, it can hurt. And if, if I sat there reading it all day, it wouldn't be healthy. So, you know, nine times out of 10, I won't check the comments. <laughs> And if I do, I just, I just don't take too much notice of it because it really is about, you know, your circle and what your friends think about you because they're, the they're the ones that really know you. Yeah, I love that. Having that really close core group of friends yeah. around you is so important. And what sort of advice do you have for a kid trying to grow a social media account and trying to navigate through that bullying yeah, minefield yeah. that there is out there? Yeah, and it's, it's challenging because I've also had like so much um, – I've built such mental strength from diving and everything else I've done in life. Like things haven't been given to me. I've had to work for them. And I think when, you, when you've had the challenge in most, if you can challenge yourself everywhere else in your life and keep a mindset of like not quitting, not giving up, and just giving it everything you've got everywhere you can, like giving it, if you do your best everywhere you can, I think that trickles down all over your life and then that can follow the social media. So if you're staying strong everywhere, I think, dealing with the hate, which which is a small thing that can be a really big thing, then yeah. it can be all right. Yeah, definitely. And there's so many people that are just out there being cruel just because oh. it's generally a reflection on what's <laughs> going on in right? their lives. Yeah, like 
I even if I saw something I disagree with, like I'm, I'm not going to spend time spreading hate. Yeah, it's, it, right. some people's mindsets are just, and I feel sorry for people like that sometimes because mm-hmm. like they're obviously so sad with their life yeah. and they're trying to make your happy life back down to their level, and it's yeah. just a it's, weird mindset. But it's and they miss the point too. Like if you want to be like happy and energetic, like hang out with happy and energetic people, yeah. and then you shoot yourself in the foot by bagging them all out. Like who you got? Yeah, oh, that's so, mate. The more I talk to you, the more like you are far beyond an eighteen-year-old, and it's so so awesome to hear about the sort of stuff that you talk about. But the one thing that I'm really excited to talk to you about: yeah. eighteen years old, full entrepreneur, and you touched on it before. Tell me about your straw business, mate. Oh, the wheat straws. Now, I love the wheat straws. It's a real solution to an actual problem. Now, paper straws piss me off. They're so annoying, and they're bad for the environment. And then you've got, you know, metal straws, which suck because they get hot. They're not clean. COVID, like no one wants to use a straw. Everyone's drunk and out of. The wheat straws, they're biodegradable straws. And they're a byproduct of the grain we grow to eat. So why not switch to something that's going to help all of us? You didn't even touch on plastic straws. What do you think of them? Oh, I don't even think they deserve a mention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We all, like they, pl- plastic straws biodegrade the microplastics. Mine biodegrade micronutrients. Yeah, it's so beautiful. So let's talk a little bit more about it. So what stage did you want to start this straw business for anyone? So wheat straws are yeah, made from wheat, obviously. Yeah, how, do, how do you get into plant. that? So I was going to say like the metal straw, what really affected me was the plastic straw in the turtle's nose. Have you seen that video? Yeah, I have seen that. And they try and pull it out with yeah, the- It to oh, watch. They pull it out with the tweezers and it just keeps coming. It's painful. I did see that video. It hurts to watch. And to see like the pain in its eyes and like the feeling, like it, it really got my emotions. And I was like, you know, like, plastic straws, we use billions, like hundreds of billions a year all over the world. Uh, we use 10 million a day here in Australia. And they just go out there. and that, But that's one incident we have on camera. There would be so many more that we don't. So the straws are like, all right, like we can, like there's a solution to this. The Chinese have been using wheat straws for thousands of years, like before. So what, like we, sw- we swapped over the plastic because uh, it was cheaper and then paper is, is more expensive, but it, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. How about a paper straw? Oh, it genuinely frustrates me. Yeah. Banana smoothie through a you paper straw. You can't even finish so your drink. Like, <laughs> it's a race to the bottom. Yeah. Like if anyone else sold a product that didn't work, they wouldn't get away with it. Yeah. But it's because it, it's, it's seen as having a good environmental impact. Okay. So where did you come up with wheat straws? And how does an 18-year-old start a business? You, when right. did you start it as well? Yeah, you must so have been younger. The beginning of 2019. Okay. And it was the 1st of Jan. I came across the wheat straws from the Chinese. The Chinese have been using them for, for a long time and we moved away from them. And so I, I, I was looking into metal straws. That's how I came across the wheat straws idea because you've got bamboo, pasta, but they all have their downsides. Bamboo is in between like a single and multi-use straw, like, but it goes a bit rotty in the inside after you use it. So, uh, And then you've got you know pasta, but pasta is all slimy. You know, It's not very nice. So the idea... Yeah, it came from the Chinese using them. And then to start a business, like I genuinely had no idea. I had no idea. So I just, uh, I online courses, YouTube, YouTube. You can learn anything on YouTube. That's how I started the company. Wow. So YouTube. YouTube, I need to start doing a bit more YouTube for the good human factory. <laughs> but, so what's the process? Was it completely you? Did you get some help from anyone outside of yeah. yourself? So you can't legally set up a company under 18. So I had to get mum to help me with that. 
uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, well, num- you're under 18, just tax things. Had to get the company in mum's name initially. So mum helped me out with that, which was fantastic. And then, yeah, I just sourced the straws, got, um, got them made, started, started supplying venues. And I started off with retail. Retail was where I thought would have the biggest impact and I was so wrong. Um, wholesale is where I wanted to go. And that's, that's where I'm moving towards now because you can sell – Here's because the, the, the best I can do is get more straws out there. It's good for me. It's good for you. It's good for all of us because we're taking plastic out. So if I can if I can get a 200 pack to one family that's good. But if I can sell a million straws to a venue that's going to use it for a million people, that's even better because then we're keeping the million straws out. So wholesale is where I'm going. Yeah, I love that and so a wheat straw feels almost like a plastic straw. I've been using them <laughs> quite a bit and I love them, but it feels you. almost like a plastic straw and like you said, single use but yeah, you can just throw them in the bin and, and they're full bio-nutrient. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, talk me through the environmental impact that the wheat straws have. Or the lack thereof. Uh, yeah. So the wheat straws are- Positive environmental Yeah, impact. yeah, like the wheat straws are grown for, for grain, for food. And then usually the stems would be mulched up, thrown so away. So it's a waste product anyway. It's a waste product. Wow. We're using a whole like circular economy here. And then the straws are then, you know, like used for drinking. And then once you're done- they just they spy degrade because just like a tree falls down, biodegrades, these stems do as well. Yeah, and like you said, it's a you found a gap almost that all these probably straws are probably getting thrown out. So, mm. like you said, trying to get into a million venues. What are your goals with the business? And give it a bit of a play. What is it to say? Right, so it's Sarian, and I recently saw Mark Burst. He was like the name shit. I was like, right, I'm changing it to Sam's Wheat Straws. So I'm in the moment of re- rebranding. Yep. Uh, I saw Dick Smith as well, and he he suggested he suggested changing over to Sam's Wheat Straws as well. Um, that, that was just my lack of experience when I started the business of putting a name that was hard to remember, and that's something you shouldn't do because if you want people to remember the name, like yours is great, the Good Human Factory, people remember that. And three words is is really what you need um, because it, it stays in people's mind. Um, yeah. So what sort of advice? So you, you mentioned Mark Burris, Dick Smith, two very recognizable names in Australian business. How did you give me your story on how you became, for one, to meet Dick Smith? Yeah. And then you were touching on it before we started this podcast, the Mark Burris story. You got to tell me that on podcast because he has a podcast with Podcast One also. Yeah. And I think it's a great story it's because fine. people like you who are young and willing to not take risks, but just put themselves out there. That's how you can make big impacts in the world. And that's how you can create opportunities that you don't have to wait for opportunities. You got to no, go find them. No, and tell so me, tell me how you find those opportunities. 100%. Well, just not same with the social media, that mentality of throwing the fishing rod, just throwing it, get in the water, see what happens. Um, that's the same with business. Like reach out, like you got nothing to lose. There's been so, there's been people I've reached out and haven't replied. Like no worries. Or it's been like, you know, like go away. Yeah. How but, do you handle rejection? Cause that's a good one. A lot of people yeah. I feel like are scared to do that because of rejection. How do you handle rejection? You just keep going. You know, JMO said no. Try Jacko. <laughs> keep going. Keep going. That's and it like it, it's not like oh yay I got rejected, but it's like okay like that sucks. I'm gonna keep going. Yeah, because so, you have your vision, your goal, the visualization. It's like okay, I can see where I want to go, and then I feel like when you, if you keep that in mind, where you want to go, things kind of fall into place. It leads you there if you keep going. Yeah, for sure. It's just about keep trudging keep on. Going. So even when things are hard, like they don't make sense. Yeah, so you would have had some speed bumps, eh? Starting a small business is not easy. I can attest for that. But 
What's been some of your, I mean, actually, let's go back to the story. How'd you meet Dick Smith? Okay. So I was in COVID. I was like, right, straw sales have dropped off because all the venues I supply are closed. What can I do? And I was thinking, I was like, all right, I used to see Dick Smith. I used to go into his shops as a kid. I was like, all right, where, where's Dick live? He lives in, I'm not going to, yeah. probably don't give his address. <laughs> I was like, all right, I'm going to write him a letter. So I wrote a letter, an actual letter. Now I've never written a letter before. I didn't even know how to put a stamp on it, but I figured it out through YouTube. And <laughs> I wrote this letter. I put some photos of me in it. And I was like, like, I loved it because I saw him a lot as a kid and his shops, he was on the news, like he was like an inspiration of mine. So I made this letter. Uh, I figured out how to put a stamp and send a letter through YouTube and I posted it. I waited a month, maybe a month and a half. And then I was at school. So after COVID, back at school, I got a call in class. I answer. He's like, Sam, it's Dick. It's like, Dick, like Dick Smith? I was like, yeah, it's Dick Smith. I was like, it's like, shit. Dick, I'm in class. Do I can give you a call back in two minutes? He's like, no worries. Give me a call back. And I was just so blown away. I was like, what? like Dick, it's at lunch. I went and gave him a call. And he was he's just an absolute. Now, I had high expectations for this guy. And he just absolutely blew them out of the water. He's a living legend. Like so much respect for that man. And anyway, we set up a time to meet. And he he gave me, like, he was really generous with his time. And I, I, I was Really appreciative of that. So I sat down with him. I went to his house and we spoke for a couple of hours about the business, about his business, about what he'd done. And it was just so inspirational. And just as I like to hang out with great people like yourself, being able to sit down with great people like Dick Smith, it, it really has such a profound effect on you thinking bigger and wanting to do better. Yeah. And seeing that you can, like seeing someone who's done it. So you just sat down with him and had a bit of a business meeting, a bit of a mentor meeting around where you could take the wheat straw business? Yeah. And about, uh, so initially it was about my wheat straws, but then I started asking questions about his life and what he'd done and some of the things, like some some things I saw on TV as a kid. I was like, like how did he pull that off? Like he just went out there and got it. And just as you just got to just send it. Like he he like did things like pulled in an iceberg, like, he, he, like a hoax where he told the world he was putting in an iceberg. Uh, and it was just a tarp and a goal of the media attention, but he just did it. Yeah. He just did it. And I, recently um, I was talking to Valerie Taylor and she was saying the same, like, Sam, you just got to do it. Mm, like, don't action. wait for someone. Like, don't don't wait for someone to give you the money to do it. Just do it. Mm. Just figure it out. And it's it's not easy, but you, you just do it. Mate, it's been so awesome getting to have a chat. The way that you your outlook on life is so mature for your age and – the question that I always like to ask, the last question yep. to all of my guests is, what does being a good human, because you have one bloody hell of a good human, <laughs> Sammy Freaker, so what does being a good human mean to Sam Freaker? I think it's always always putting your best foot forward and I always spread positivity. Like be kind to everyone. Like genuinely give a shit. Like I genuinely care about my friends. And if you really care about the people around you, it just makes the world a better place because you're looking out for each other. Like, do 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 the right thing. I like I like this saying for me. Like the and it might sound stupid, but the right thing to do is it's always the right thing to do. Yeah, I love that, and you can always feel it. This yeah, is something you know, I talk a lot intuition, about. Intuition, right? Yeah, if you, you can, sit there. It's, yeah, it feels right, and I talk about it a lot in my workshops with the good human factor to the kids. Is I felt like when I was when I was your age. I knew when I was doing stuff that yeah. wasn't right, that didn't sit right with me, yeah. that wasn't my philosophy. Well, you know you shouldn't be there. But I kept doing it and I did do it quite a lot and and I feel like it's fine. We all do that. Like we were talking about a little bit earlier with yeah. the competition side of things. 
we slip up and that's fine, but it's being aware and reflecting and knowing when you are. And it sounds like you've got such a mature approach to it. And man, I'm glad that I get to call you a friend because with an outlook like that, you rub off on people like myself and like the community around you to be better people as well. So Mate, thank you so much for sitting down, coming over to my place, having a chat and yeah, really, really excited to share this podcast with people and yeah, hopefully everyone listening can be a bit more educated around wheat straws and the impact they have on the environment and yeah, if you have a supply company and you want to buy some straws, make sure you get in touch. Sam Fricka will leave some stuff on socials so you can find where Sam is and where his straws are. Hopefully by the time this podcast is out, it'll be rebranded and I'm looking Sam's forward to it. Straws. I'll be pushing it real hard. So <laughs> Sam's Wheat Straws, check it out. So no, Thanks for having me on. Absolute pleasure. And it's, it's hang, hanging around good people. is It's, it's, it's how you achieve your dreams. Yeah. Good Humans was presented by me, Cooper Chapman. Producer, Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. <laughs> 